Well, hello, living room. How are we doing tonight? I'm feeling good? Good. Uh, first things first, I don't have a party pony. It's a man bun. Let's just go ahead and say that I've never had a ponytail in my life. And if you do and you're a guy, that's fine. But that's not me. So uh, I am super excited to be here with you tonight. As they've referenced, my name is Matt. Uh, I love getting to hang out with y'all, getting to hang out with college students, college age students. Uh, before actually coming to Woodstock City Church about three years ago, uh, first I got to lead Upstreet, all the elementary kids, and then for the last about year and a half I've been leading Inside Out, so maybe some of you were in Inside Out last year, I got to hang out with you. But before all that, I actually led a college ministry over in the other side of the city uh, for about two years, so my heart is for you. I, I think about you all the time. I don't know that Samer has a bigger fan of the living room than me. Um, I love hearing the stories about what y'all are going to do and what you're getting to go through because let's just call it what it is. The season of life you're in is the best season of life, It period. You're in college. This is great. Now you're in the middle of your semester and you're in week four of this series, this idea of being unashamed, being unashamed of the gospel, being unashamed of the good news, being unashamed of your faith. And really, I think what Samer has been doing is laying out over the last three weeks this idea of what the best life looks like how we can find the best possible life. Because we would say here with Stock City, we would say within our faith, Christianity would say that Jesus has come to give us not just a mediocre life, not a fake life, not a half life, but the best life, more life than you could ever dream of. And so what Samer's been doing is been laying out what that life actually looks like. And tonight I wanna have a conversation with you about how you actually find it. How do you actually find this life? And my hope is that by the end of our time hanging out, you would actually have something change about the way that maybe you view God. Maybe something in your mindset will have to shift, that there'd be a new paradigm for you and how you approach your faith. And the reason why I say that is because I had my mindset shift about my faith and what it looked like to know who God was when I was in college. Now, I don't know about you, I grew up going to church. I had a family that kind of reared me towards that that was very much a part of my story. But for me, my faith was really stuffy. Like I was, I was a Pharisee, I was a hypocrite. I was the kid who looked at you if you were partying and thought, mm, yep, I'm better than you, right? Like I was the worst. You didn't wanna be around me. I sucked, let's just call it what it is. I'm the kid that like, would go to the parties because I was friends with everybody, but inside, internally, I was looking around thinking, uh, nope, not that guy. Definitely don't wanna be like him. And then I went to UGA, went there for college, and I remember uh, going there knowing only a few people. Um, not a bunch of people from my school decided to go there from my high school, so I go there, I only know a few. And one of the first nights at Georgia, I end up meeting a few people who were like, hey, come hang out with us. We'll go back to our apartment. There's gonna be a bunch of people there. It's gonna be great. So I'm like, cool, this is sweet. Through one of the people that I did know, I've met these two guys, uh, Perk and Dugan, and now they're gonna be like, hey, come over here. We got a lot of people. This is sweet. I like people. Let's go make some friends. And then I remember it was the 218. That was the number that they had, and everyone called. Like, it's, that's the apartment, the 218. That's the name of it. And so I walk in the door. I open the door, and I was not prepared for what I was about to experience. I am 6'3". Back then, in my uh, freshman year of college, I was probably like, I don't know, 190-ish. And as I opened the door, laying on a giant beanbag is a 6'3", 265-pound man, shredded, wearing only his boxer briefs. Like, picture Gaston, you know, from Beauty and the Beast. 
Gaston almost naked with a PBR in his hand saying, hey, what's up, man? You want one? And I'm like, I don't know if I, can I turn this down? He might kill me. He might own me. Yeah, um, so his name was Bo. And Bo was a walk-on football player at Georgia. Um, And Bo also, in his spare time in the spring, threw the hammer at Georgia. Like, this guy was otherworldly. He was a Greek god. And yet, as I got to know Bo, Bo changed, I would say this, changed my life. Not because of fear of Bo um, or because of the PBR that I didn't take that night, but would later on. It's because I came to know that Bo had a massive love for Jesus. And see, when I grew up, there was no one like Bo in my world. I didn't know anyone like him who had this massive faith, but who was as free as Bo was. Like he was anti-fake. And he was someone that I automatically was like, I wanna be friends with that dude. A, because if we're downtown, he's gonna take care of people. But B, because there's something, there's something unique about this dude. He lives a life that I don't know I've ever actually experienced before and there's something about it that I wanna figure out. And so Bo challenged my mindset about who God was. And he did it in a way that actually, I think, Paul talks about. So we've been walking through the book of Romans with different chapters, different focuses over the last three weeks. Tonight I wanna continue that. See, Paul would actually write this letter to the church in Rome and they actually lived very similarly to you. I don't know that they had colleges back then, but they were walking through and dealing with the same stuff that all of you deal with. All the trials, all the difficulties, all the navigating of life that, that you are doing, they did as well. And Paul looks at them and he starts to lay out how they should live. And in Romans chapter 12, it is perfect. And I wanna read to you actually, Romans chapter 12, through the words of this guy named Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson wrote a version of the Bible called The Message, where he really takes the language of Scripture, the language of the Bible, and puts it into terms that just really lands with us. And I say us because I'm a millennial too. I'm just on the leading edge because I'm old. So what I want to do is look through Romans chapter 12 with you. And starting in verse 9, here's what he says. It says, love from the center of who you are. I want you to love everyone from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. And like, when I read this, I'm like, that was Bo. That dude was out of his mind, but I liked him and I wanted to figure out more about him. He wasn't fake, because none of us like that. None of us like fake people. We can smell it. We know when someone's trying way too hard, right? Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Don't act petty. Don't act like you got it all together when maybe you don't. And here's the thing. Then he starts to tell us what to do. He says, run for dear life from evil. Run from it, do whatever you can, get away from it and hold on for your dear life to good. We see that and we're like, of course, why would I hold on to evil? No, I'm gonna run from evil, cling to good, be good friends who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. In other words, let's work on making life not all about us. This is how he's saying what life should look like and and this idea of Bo starts to shape it. He continues this way, he says, don't burn out. I wish I knew this when I was in college because I didn't know what it was like to pause, to rest, to just sit for a minute. I always had to be busy, always had to do something, always had to say yes. Don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master. Now, Eugene Peterson, when he writes the message, he uses the word master to reference Jesus all the time because the ideal, the role model, the standard of what we're all trying to figure out how to live like is Jesus. 
And he's the master of this way of life. And so he calls him the master. Be alert servants of the master. Learn how to follow him. Cheerfully expectant. I know there are some of you that you expect a lot of things in life, but it doesn't look cheerful all the time. That test doesn't make you cheerful, right? That diagnosis doesn't make you cheerful. That thing around the corner, that looming future, doesn't make you cheerful. But, but Paul's saying be cheerfully expectant of what's to come. Don't quit in hard times. Unless you're a Braves fan, then you need to learn how to freaking quit, right? Pray all the harder. I think he's talking to us as Atlanta fans. Like, I'm an all-Atlanta fan. Hawks, Falcons, Braves. I'm like a die-easy United fan, but I'm also a Georgia grad. It's quite the tragedy, right? It's like being in the constant friend zone of dating. You know what I mean? Like, you're always this close, but you never close the deal. You're always like, oh, this time, not... Not this time. Okay. Yep. 10 runs in the first inning. We forgot how to play baseball. Mm-hmm. So this is real life. This is what we need to be going after. This is the ideal. He keeps going. He says, bless your enemies. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that though. Paul, do you not have enemies? What are you talking about? Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. So maybe curse at people. Nope. Not what he's saying. He's saying laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Like there's no better authentic view of what it looks like to be in community with people that you love and people that love you, that are for you. Laugh with them when they're happy. Share with, share tears on them when they're down. Feel with them. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up because no one likes that person. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Like this, this makes sense. We read this and we're like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it, Paul. This is what we need to be angling towards. And then he finishes with this. He says, don't hit back. If someone does something to you, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Like, yes, Ellen, be kind to everyone. That makes sense. Discover the beauty in everyone. See the value in everyone. And if you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Another version would say, as far as it depends upon you, make peace with everyone. Whatever control you have to actually make that choice and make that decision. Get along with everybody. Quit fighting. Quit making enemies just to make enemies. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. And I think I look at all of these verses. I look at this idea of what life could look like. And to me, I'm sure probably like you, you're like, that sounds great. That sounds like the ideal, right? That sounds like what I would actually angle towards. Those are the people I wanna be around. That's the kind of life I wanna live. That's the character I wanna have. That's the future I wanna find. This is the ideal. But I think the reality for a lot of us is that that's not true. That's just not what our life looks like, right? Because we get angry with people whenever they offend us. We build fences because of the offenses that they have towards us. Things don't go well at school. Maybe you didn't get the right grade. Maybe you didn't get into the right school that you thought you would. Maybe the girl that you've been chasing and pursuing decided that she wanted to stiff arm you and keep you in that friend zone. Maybe the guy that you've been dating decided that no longer he really thought his, he could see his future with you. 
And we're navigating all these circumstances in life and all of a sudden we're faced with what do we actually do? What do we actually believe? How do we actually make the ideal happen? Like that's the problem. The problem we need to figure out tonight is how do we make the ideal become real? How do we make that ideal of what Paul says real in our life? How do we find that? If that's the best life, then how do we actually find it? See, for me, I would have equated all of that stuff with the opposite of what Bo would have said. Because Bo, carefree, only in his boxer briefs, Gaston, Bo would have been like, dude, just chill out, have fun. Life's way too good for you to freak out every time something doesn't go right. But my idea of faith was very much built on the things that I was doing. My idea with faith was very much built on my circumstances. Maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one. But I very much thought that God's view of me, if this is the ideal he may want for me, I thought God's view of me would change or alter or shift based on what I was doing. I thought that somehow I had this power over God's mind and his heart that he would love me less if I did less. And so I would put myself in this box and I would think continuously, I've got to do enough right things to get right with God. And then maybe, just maybe, I can do what Paul is saying and live this life perfectly. I've got a Superman syndrome where I think it's all on me. And it affects my ability to live the ideal and to find that best life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you walk in here and you read all these letters or these words from Paul. Maybe even listen in the last few weeks to what Sam has been saying. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know how it is that you are taking in all of these ideas. But a lot of these ideas can be difficult to swallow and difficult to navigate whenever life happens. Can you actually continue to have a faith when things don't go right? Like this is the question that trips people up all the time. I had a conversation about it today with one of our staff members. They were having a conversation with a volunteer who was having a really difficult time navigating the thought of how a good God could let bad things happen. Like these are the big questions. Now you're in college, you get to navigate, you get to figure out. How do we actually make that ideal of what we need to go after? How do we make that real in our life? How can we do that when our circumstances tell us it's impossible? And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at what Paul actually tells us to do. Because there's something about our minds that maybe we need to give more attention to, to figure out how to unlock that best life. Maybe there's something about my mind and my mindset about approaching Jesus when I was in college that I totally missed. And by me missing it, it actually kept me from experiencing the best possible life. Maybe the way that you view God is keeping you from knowing what that looks like. So how do we take that ideal and how do we make it become real? Well, if we jump back to the beginning of Romans chapter 12, in verse one, Paul actually lays out what to do. He says, so. So in light of everything we've learned the last few weeks, so in light of all the 11 chapters that come before this, so here's what I want you to do. And if you're like me, you're like, sweet, let me write this down, right? Here's the blueprint, here's the map, Here's the journey. This is what I got to do to find the best possible life. It's all on me. But that's not the end of the sentence because he says, 
God helping you, right? Here's what I want you to do with God's help. Here's what I want you to realize. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that the best life is available for you, that you can find it, that it can actually take you through your circumstances, but you can't do it on your own. You need God's help. And you need God's help because none of us are perfect, because all of us make mistakes, because all of us mess up. We all need God's help because none of us are born mature. I've got four little kids. They're seven, five, three, and one. I never sleep, right? It's great. Actually, it is great. If you wanna have four kids, it's wonderful later. But for me, I look at them and I'm like, you know what I mean? Like I never knew I had anger issues until I had kids. And then they do something deliberately against me and I wanna take them and then drop kick them to the moon out of love because I'm a good father. But I look at them and I'm quickly reminded of the reality that we are not born mature. <laughs> Some of you are looking around and you're like, yeah, I got a lot of friends that really are making me aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got that ex. Whoo, yeah, she made me see that real fast. Mm-hmm. None of us are born mature. None of us are born where we want to be. If you think about your future and where you wanna be, guess what? You're not there yet. But no one gets to where they wanna be. No one experiences the best possible life by just sitting there, waking up and thinking, oh, cool, I made it. Woke up today, let's go and tackle this thing. No. There's a guy named John Maxwell who says, everything worthwhile in life is uphill. And if maturity is not the default, it means you gotta work at it. It means it takes effort. It means you have to learn. It means that there's something that we may need to shift and we may need to change with God's help to get there. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life, your mundane Mondays, they could not be more standard issue. I want you to take those things. I want you to take your sleeping. I want you to take your eating even if it's something awful, doesn't matter. Take it. I want you to take your going to work, your going to school, your walking around campus, your voting for Blake and Molly for homecoming. I want you to take everything possible in your life. You're walking around normal, standard life. I want you to take literally all of it. And I want you to place it before God as an offering. I want you to take all of your life. I want you to take every part of your day, everything that makes you you, and I want you to place it at the feet of God to say, all right, here's my life. Here's what I want you to do, Paul says. I want you to take your life and I want you to give it to God as an offering. And you may be like, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand how to do that. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. That sentence is what I messed up the most because I thought that the best possible way to do anything for God was based on what I could do right. But what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. This isn't about you. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can actually do for him. And I was like, hang on. So there's, there's more There's maybe more to what I'm thinking about life. There's maybe more to what this looks like. I need to be more in tune maybe with what God wants for me than what I want for me. And then that is where I actually give my life as an offering. And then Paul continues, and this is where he just hits home. 
He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well accustomed to well adjusted to your culture that you end up fitting into it without even thinking. Fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. You'll be changed from the inside out, meaning something about your life will shift in a way that you never thought possible before when you start focusing on him instead of focusing on everything else around you. Because what God wants to do in you Every single one of you is he wants to unlock that best for you, but it's not going to happen by you finding the key and unlocking it. It's going to find, it's going to happen by you fixing your attention, focusing your mind, giving your thoughts towards what God may want for you and allowing that to be what drives your life. Allowing that to be what drives your every day, what drives the walking around ordinary mundane life that sometimes we just experience. Because when you fix your attention on him, He starts to do a work in you. And there's nothing outside of you that can actually change anything within you. It's actually all your choice of how you decide to change. And what God wants to do is to say, I I know you. I want the best for you. I want you to have full life. So if you fix your attention on me, I'm gonna change you, not just your circumstances, I'm gonna change your heart. I'm gonna change it from the inside out. So readily recognize what God wants from you and then quickly respond to it. Be so in tune with what God may be wanting to do in your life that the moment it becomes clear to you, it's not even a question. You just say, yes, I'm in. Or maybe you just say, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna fix my attention on him instead of something else. Unlike the culture around you, I want you, which is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So there's something about the gospel, about this good news that's just too good. See, I don't know if you were aware of this. Maybe you heard it a few weeks ago. God loves you individually, you, so much that he is fully willing and fully desiring to save you exactly as he finds you. You may not love God. You may not have a relationship with him. You may be running from him. You may think this is all weird and you're just here because she's super cute. I get it. But you need to know that even if you don't love God, he loves you. He loves you first. And he loves you so much. He wants to save you exactly as he finds you. But thank God that he loves us way too much to leave us as he found us. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to grow up because you want to grow up. There's not a one of you that would be like, man, I really wish I could go back to high school. Jeez, it was so nice when I was living at my parents' house and I was a junior and I figured out how to drive. Let's go back there. No one in the history of college has ever said that, ever. But you also, five years from now, would never be like, man, I really wish I could be 20 again and taking those exams and all those papers I really wish I had this much money and live with seven other people. No one is ever gonna say that. But like everything in life, we're not gonna get there unless there's an attention to it. And you wanna get there, God wants you to get there even more. 
He loves you way too much to leave you as he found you. He wants to bring out the best in you and develop well-formed maturity in you. But the way that's gonna happen and the way that you've gotta actually get there, the thing that might need to change for you tonight is how you view him. See, all of it comes down to thinking. What if all of it actually comes down to your view of God? If you think that God wants all those things for you, then it's gonna make you lean in his direction. But if you actually view God and think of him that he doesn't want that for you, then the moment something bad or unexpected happens, you're gonna go, whoa, I don't know that I was really sure about all that. And you run from him. A.W. Tozer talks about this reality. He's this theologian, this super smart guy, way smarter than me. He talks about this reality in the book called The Knowledge of the Holy. Haven't read the whole book, but the very first line on page one, it's a great reference, like in a paper. The very first line is a statement that I have memorized and I can never forget because it has shaped everything of my life. And I think it can shape yours too because it's speaking to this. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's a thinking problem. It's a thinking problem that I had when I was in college because I wanted the best life, but I thought that I had to attain some special standing with God for him to love me more or to get more blessing or to find his favor. And then I meet this guy named Bo who is the opposite of all those things and yet has this overwhelmingly authentic and attractive faith. How do those two things line up? It's because I wasn't thinking right. I was putting God in a little box that I could control and that I could hold and that made a lot of sense to me. See, if I mess up, that must mean God must love me less. That makes sense because now I'm in control of my faith. I'm in control of my thought of God. But the moment I stop putting God inside a box that isn't even real in the first place, I start to unlock something of my mind to see how he actually would view me, to find the true view of me. See what Paul is saying, what A.W. Tozer is saying, and what I'm telling you tonight, what I want you to understand is that your knowledge of God, it will shape your experience with God. This is an intellectual problem. Your knowledge of God will shape your experience with God. If you think that God is against you, then it's going to be really hard to feel close to him. But if you start to realize that God is for you, it changes everything that you experience. I found this to be true in no greater form than in all of the dating that I did growing up, especially in college. See, for me, I am uh, emotionally wired. Let's just go ahead and call it. Not afraid to cry. Uh, my wife, not the crier. Me, all the tears. That's right, this guy. So I would go through dating, fully me, like, here we go. And it would be so unhealthy because I would become this roller coaster of emotions. Like stage five, I was freaking stage 12. It sucked. It was not fun for them or me or my friends because I was so emotionally invested in everything happening in my life, it was like a roller coaster. And so then my faith tagged onto my emotions and my faith was actually driven by my feelings. And it wasn't until I understood something new about who God was 
and his fundamental kindness and how he actually wanted to grow me up, then I started to stop and I stopped thinking that my circumstances affected God's goodness in my life. Because if my circumstances affect God's goodness, then all of a sudden my view of God changes as my circumstances get better. And when my circumstances get worse, my view of God changes because my feelings are different. So then when I don't feel God, I start to think he must not love me. But there's a whole other message around the idea of this, that love is not an affectionate feeling. Love is a choice. So when I started to realize that God chose to love me in spite of my feelings and Jesus chose to love me when he was in the garden and he didn't want to go through with what he knew he had to go through with, when he had to go and be beaten and whipped and tortured for no reason, that he had done nothing wrong and yet he took all of that on himself, when he had so much anxiety that he's sweating blood because he didn't want to go through with the death he would have to do, it wasn't a feeling of love that he had towards us. His feelings made him want to run away from that and yet he chose to do it anyways because he loves us. Because love is not a feeling, love is a choice. And so when I started to realize that God loves me regardless of my circumstances, my roller coaster faith of emotions stopped being so high and so low and started to get a rock solid foundation to understand that God may actually not change even if my circumstances do. God may want the best for me even when it doesn't feel like it's the best for me. And all of a sudden I started to realize that my circumstances don't affect God's goodness. Maybe God's goodness actually affects all of my circumstances because my knowledge of God started to increase and I realized nothing has ever happened outside of his hands. Nothing has ever surprised him. Nothing has ever occurred to him. He is not in the dark to what's going on in your life. When the worst possible thing happens, he knows it's happening and yet he's still there. So when I started to realize that, I started to lean in more and it changed my experience with him because I stopped thinking he might be against me or he might look different at me or he might, not, he might not actually love me as much as I want him to because of my decisions. And I started to realize, wait a minute, there's something unique that God is wanting to teach me and do in my life and there's a purpose, even if it's painful, that I can lean into and figure out. See, it's the truth of who God is that sets us into this best possible life. And I think what I fell into the trap of doing is looking around at people like Bo, or I went to a place called the Wesley Foundation in college with some incredible people that were older than me, some incredible leaders. And what I started to do is I started to look around as I was figuring out this thing called faith. And I started to think, oh my gosh, I think that's what I need to be like, or they do this really well. I need to do more of what they're doing or that person over there. Yeah, they got it all together. Maybe I need to start copying what they're doing. And then I I started to realize, but I'm not them. So how do I do that? How do I get inspired by seeing these other people that have unlocked some secret that I don't have? But what is it that God may be wanting to tell me from their story? What is it God may be wanting to tell me through Paul? What is it God may be actually wanting to tell me through Jesus? What is it God may be wanting to tell you tonight through me? See, Paul keeps going in Romans 12 for the message for you uniquely. Look at what he says. He says, since we find ourselves fashioned, into all of these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body. In other words, 
Since God looked at you and said, you are exactly who I want you to be and how I want you to be, you are exactly where I want you to be, and I'm not surprised that you are where you are. You are in my hands, and we are going to make this thing as good as it possibly can be if you would simply take all of your life and offer it up to say, God, what is it you may want for me? When we start to understand that God has fashioned all of us excellently and marvelously to be functioning parts of Christ's body found in who Jesus is, all of a sudden, this is what it is. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. And you know who you were not made to be? Anyone else. God made you to be you and you alone. So when you start to lean into this and understand his view of you, you stop enviously and pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. We're supposed to live with love and don't fake it. Maybe that is the thing that you need to change in your mind tonight is that you may not look like that person on Instagram or you may not have that influence of your friend or you may not be a part of that crew or I may not look like I'm 6'3", 265 and a Disney character. And yet God made me to be uniquely me. He knew the strengths that I would have. He knew the weaknesses that I would have and it wasn't a mistake. I didn't figure that out until I was in my late 20s. If I had known that before I went into the real world, if I had known that before I graduated college, my life would have been different. Because I spent the first seven years after graduating college consistently looking at the people ahead of me, thinking, I'm not there yet. Man, what are they doing? I gotta be more like them. And then one day I realized, God didn't make me to be like them. If God wanted me to be them, he would have made me them, but he didn't. And since I know that he's never made a mistake, and since I know that he's always good, and since I know that he fashioned me excellently and marvelously to function uniquely as a part of Christ's body, as a part of his creation, then now I all of a sudden know that there's something he may have for me and me alone. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And if you could unlock that truth that he loves you exactly as you are, he didn't make a mistake with you, he is not surprised by the darkness in your life, and he's not running away when you become aware of it. He is here, he is ready, and he wants to do something wonderful in his wonderful and marvelously functioned creation. So when we offer up our lives as a sacrifice to say, God, what is it that you want for me? We actually change the way we view God and we change the way we can find the life that we all want. So your best life, your best life that you want, how do we actually get there? How do we do this? Your best life is found in knowing something. Your best life may not be found in being something or doing something or becoming something. Paul would tell us, and I would tell you, that your best life is found in knowing who God is, 
You need to know what his character is. You need to know that he is good. You need to know that he loves you. He is for you. And he has so many bigger dreams than anything you could possibly imagine. Like, go ahead and try to outdream God. You can't. Your biggest, wildest, most audacious dreams of what your life could be are tiny to him. Because he wants even more than that for you. He did everything for you so that you wouldn't have to. It's how much he loves you. So your best life is found in knowing who God is. And then it's found in knowing what strengths he's given you. Paul would say, if you're a teacher, then go teach. If you're a counselor, go counsel. If your greatest possible fulfillment in life is becoming a mother one day, then start building your character now so that when you get to that spot, you can be that and find your fulfillment in it. Figure out what God has made you to be and then live out of that because that is how you find the best possible life. Not trying to be like someone else, not trying to fill someone else's shoes, not trying to fake your way into maybe attaining some life or some favor with God. It's resting in the fact that he loves you exactly as he made you and he wants to grow you up in that. See, what happens whenever you start to figure out your strengths is you start to realize that you become more and more like Jesus. Because when you choose to follow Jesus, you will take those strengths and you'll start to make them not about yourself, but you'll follow everything that we see through all the scriptures about making those strengths and making your life about helping others. Because love is not an affectionate feeling. It's a choice but it's a choice that's always made about the other person. That's why the opposite of love is pride, right? But God doesn't want you to be built on your pride. He wants you to go with your life and to say, all right, God, what would you have for me? I wanna lean into that. I wanna learn more of who you are and I wanna learn how you made me uniquely me. So what about your mindset? Might need to change tonight so that you can unlock the best life that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much. You save us exactly as you find us. But God, I thank you that you also love us way too much to leave us as you found us. That you desire to educate our faith. You desire to grow us up. You desire for us to have more, better, and and so much more full life than we could ever even dream of on our own. So God, I ask that in the name of Jesus, you would provide that full, real, ideal life for all of these people. That these young adults, these 20-somethings, these college students would start to realize that the future that they actually want is found in you because you are the author of life. You are the narrator of our future. You are the one casting for us the best possible future. So I pray that we would lean into you like never before. And God, I pray that you would transform our lives by renewing our mindset into who you actually are. Show us in a fresh way this week how much you love us. God, please show up in our darkness. Show up in our difficulties and bring peace like never before. Reveal yourself to us because as we start to know who you are, we will live that life out. So would you grow us all up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both you and with men because that's what Jesus did. So make us more like him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.